0: then in the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. For those of you visiting with us today because of the Sunday School Prize-giving, we appreciate you coming. If you've never been before, you are very, very welcome indeed. Hebrews 11 then, uh, verses uh, 13 to 16. Of course, this is a great roll call of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Now, All of us live in what I suppose you could call a time-space dimension. And of course this time-space dimension box that we live in Uh, comes with many limitations and lots of restrictions. For example, uh, we are limited geographically. We, We can only be in one place at one time. And even sometimes getting from A to B, particularly if A is a long way from B, if you're going to the other side of the world, then you've got to contend with a very long, tiring, bone wearing journey that is quite expensive. So we are limited geographically. We're also limited chronologically. In other words, we live and we die in a very short span of time. And that's why the Bible calls our life on earth it's like a vapor, like a breath, as fast as a weaver's shuttle. Paul says it's like a folding of a tent. The Bible says it's like the flowers of the field that are today and tomorrow are faded and gone, like the grass that soon grows up but also is soon cut down and cast into the oven. And so we are limited chronologically. We're also limited biologically. And as much as scientists, scientists have made great advancements uh, in the area of biology. But still, in spite of all of that, we, we die with all kinds of viruses and infections, diseases, and all kinds of things that we haven't able to overcome as yet. We're limited sociologically. Within society, there are different uh, cultural differences. There are language barriers that we've got to overcome. It used to be in Ireland... Uh, apart from those who owned Chinese restaurants and maybe those who owned Indian restaurants, and maybe a few doctors from Africa that worked in Royal Victoria Hospital, that was about all uh, we saw of people from other lands. Today there are over 80 different languages spoken in Ireland in this past 15, 20 years. Uh, And many times there are those cultural uh, and language barriers that we have got to try to overcome. We're also limited economically. Uh, There's the rich and the poor. There's the haves and the have-nots. We talk about the lower and the middle and the upper income earners. Uh, And sometimes the the gap is tremendous. And it does make a difference to various lifestyles. And Yet whatever limitations it seems to be that man is faced with... uh, somehow or other because of man's ingenuity, his creativeness, his inventiveness, uh, we we seem to manage either to live with them or improve upon them or overcome them. And it looks like that for the most part we defy the odds and find a way over these obstacles or around them uh, so that we can live in this little time span that we have got in this space that we live in. However, there is one limitation, and uh, no man has been able to overcome uh, the greatest scientific brains on earth, has never, ever been able to find how to stop the ravages of time. We just can't stop it. It's naturalable. It is always, always there. How many friends do you know? How many people did you go to school with or work with that are no longer around today? They're gone. Some at a young age, some at an old age. And often it's just the ravages of time. There is no elixir of life to be found. There's no time capsule to take. There's no eternity pill to swallow. The Apostle Paul sums it up in four simple but profound words. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 15.22, In Adam all die. Simple words, but very profound. Inescapable. In Adam all die. Because of Adam's sin and failure in the Garden of Eden. That inheritance of failure and disobedience, is was passed on to all man, and that's why in Adam all die. Sin was the root, death was the fruit. It is the ultimate statistic, one out of every one dies. I don't know if you saw in the news last week that the oldest woman on earth from Brazil, she was just a few days short of her 115th birthday. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Actually, it's amazing that we're thinking that it's amazing. Out of six billion people on the face of the earth, only one has lived to almost 115. Now, that's amazing. You know why? Because God made us to live for all eternity. And even though that may seem a long time in modern terms to us, the reality is the briefest, the most fleeting moment of your entire existence will be in this little span of time and space that you're in right now. So no matter how long you live, even if it is to be 115, that's going to be the briefest, the most fleeting It's infinitesimal compared to all of eternity. And so this is amazing, that you and I who are creatures of the dust, and yet all of this without exception, every single one of us will transcend time and we will touch eternity because that's the way that God made you. This life will not be the end. It will be the end of our human physical life on earth, but it will not be the end. We will live all eternity, forever and forever and forever. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. It's the way that God made us. And so, how do you compare time with eternity? Very, very difficult But if you think of just one wave upon an ocean, one leaf in a forest, one star in the Milky Way, one grain of sand upon the seashore, seashore, then you're beginning to get a little idea of the difference between time and eternity. And yet, here is the thing today. Even though we are, at this moment, locked into this little box we call time and space, this time that we have right now will determine our entire eternal destiny. That's what will determine it. How we live in time, what we do in time, what choices and decisions we make now will shape our eternity. So that is why we got to think a little bit about this time-space we live in, because our whole eternal future depends on it right now. Now, here's the irony. Most people, including some Christians who should know better, mistake time for eternity. And it's a very big mistake to make. It's going to be a very costly mistake to make. In other words, they live for the temporal, not for the eternal. They live for the here and now, not for the there and then. They live as if now is the whole picture, and it isn't. It's just a tiny, tiny little fraction of it. Of course, eternity... To most people, seems kind of foggy, ethereal, nebulous, intangible. You can't touch it, can't see it. We can dream about it, we can imagine it, but none of us has ever been there, so it's hard to rationalize. So that's why we're more comfortable with time. Time is measurable. We live in it. We experience it every day. Everything we handle and we touch and we taste and we see and we smell is all contained in time. And so we're used to that. Humanly, that's that we live and move in. So to think outside that box to eternity that you can't see and you can't touch and you can't feel and you can't smell and you can't taste, it's beyond our sensory perception. It becomes a little bit more difficult. And that's why when preachers Talk about eternity. It's difficult to get that message through because we're so locked into time as human beings that it's hard for us to see. In Luke chapter 12, and coincidentally, we just read this story just a couple of Sundays ago, but just to mention this, Jesus was interrupted by a certain man who had a quibble about his inheritance between him and his brother, they wanted Jesus to arbitrate between them and Jesus wouldn't do that. The reason why he wouldn't do that because he saw this man particularly had a covetous heart. And so he gives them a little parable to teach about covetousness. And he, verse 16, he spoke a parable to them saying, "'A ground of a certain rich man yield plentifully.'" He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. So take your ease, eat and drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night… Your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. Somebody has said that here is a man who made three tragic mistakes, quite common mistakes. First of all, he mistook his bank book for his Bible. The only thing he was interested in was his bank book how much goods I have laid up. Secondly, he mistook his body for his soul. <laughs> big, big mistake to make. And the biggest mistake he made, he mistook time for eternity. I have much goods, and I have laid them up for many years. And God says, no, this night, this night, I require your soul. Even if you had a says, I have enough goods to laid up for tomorrow, God will still say, Uh-uh, this night. Your soul will be required of you. And so we gotta think a little bit about time and eternity. Matthew 16:26, Jesus says, "What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's the most precious thing. Now here's another irony. We tend to associate eternity with the hereafter or when somebody dies. Somehow or other, when somebody dies, particularly somebody you know, uh, kind of confronts you with your own mortality. You know, over the years, I've, I've conducted dozens and dozens of funerals, and, 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 and actually, when you stand at that open grave, you're faced with your own mortality, and I've often said at a graveside, here's the reality, folks, in three days' time, any of us could be in that hole. That's the reality. That's how close you and I lived to the very edge of time and to eternity. It's a knife edge. It's a vapor. It's a breath. It's like a weaver shuttle. It can be over in a second. So here's the irony. We tend to associate eternity with the life hereafter or when somebody dies. But here's what we tend to think, well, what I have done with the time bit, then I'll think about the eternity bit. When I'm old and decrepit, and I've had all my fun, then just before I, I kick the bucket, I'll think of eternity. Hmm. See, the problem with that kind of thinking is none of us knows when our time will end and our Eternity begins. You see, this man said, I I have good sight up for many years. Ah, this night. He didn't know when he said that, that his time was about to end very, very suddenly and quickly. His eternity was about to begin. So unless we think about eternity while we are yet in time, then we're going to miss the whole point of time. In the first place. And the whole point of time in the first place is to prepare us and get us ready for all of eternity. If you were going to go on holidays next week, which some of you are, some of you already have your bags packed. My wife, she starts packing months in advance. Where's that shirt? Oh, it's in the case. She's a forward planner. So if you're going to go on holidays, To spend, say, a week or ten days somewhere. You're thinking months ahead. You have booked it months ahead, generally speaking. Unless you wait and get a quick, cheapy deal. So you plan ahead. You think about it. You get the brochures. You write. You phone. You're on the internet. You do all of that there for a few days away. Here we are. We're about to enter into the longest period. Imagine, it's unimaginable. Eternity. You can't even imagine the length of it. Do we even give it one thought for one second? But that's where we're going to spend all of our future for all time. is going to be an eternity. Have we made one moment's preparation for that? So we need to live for eternity while we're still in time. It's way, way too late to start living for eternity when you're in eternity. Way too late for that. How much of our lives is geared up for eternity? Does it have any bearing on our lives today? Or is it just literally pie in the sky when you die, by and by? Is that all it is? Is it just a kind of a fleeting little thought and, well... If it turns out fine, okay. I'm not too sure about all of that stuff. It's just far too heavy for me to think about. And I'm young and I've got my health and my strength and maybe I'm gonna retire soon and I've got money to spend and I'm gonna do things with my grandchildren and I don't really wanna think about that stuff away out there. Is is that what we think? Hmm. Well, let me tell you believers, I hope our thinking's better than that. Because the Bible says in Philippians 3 and 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. That's That's where we're going to live for all eternity. That's where citizenship is. We just read there our opening in Hebrews chapter 11. If you could just read even before that from verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as inheritance. Then he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which his foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He waited for the city which has foundations. It's real. Heaven's a real place. It's not the figment of somebody's imagination. It's it's more real than this place. This place will pass away. Heaven will never pass away. And so he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. God. So what does living in the light of eternity do for us? Well, let me be brief. I've only got a few more minutes left. First of all, it changes our sense of values. At least it should. So that means, and again, to mention what we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we move from ownership to stewardship. we consider what we have and how we can use it wisely, not just for ourselves and for our family, but for the kingdom of God. So do you hold lightly to stuff or tightly to stuff? That's a good way to determine how much you think about eternity, whether you hold lightly or tightly to stuff. Because don't you know that all the stuff that you got, good as it is, blessing as it is, all of it one day We'll be separated from it. As Raymond likes to say about the man, the rich man who died, and somebody says, How much did he leave? He left all of it. We're going to leave all of it someday. And so when you start to think and live your life in the light of eternity, then it changes your sense of values to that which is around you. You realize we're not here forever. We're here for a very, very, very fleeting, brief moment of time, that little span, and life's little day will end, and then we're gone for all eternity. And so it helps us to change our sense of values. It also changes our perspective of time. What do we do in time? Ephesians 5.15, Paul encourages us To live wisely, not foolishly, redeeming the time, he says, because the days are evil. The New Living Translation puts that redeeming the time part, puts it this way. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Now, he's writing to believers. He's writing to the church here. So he says, while you're in this day, which is an evil day, none of us can doubt that for sure. Take every single opportunity you can get to do good for Christ and for his kingdom. Apart from doing good as natural human beings we ought to, but for Christ and for his kingdom, for eternal purposes this means. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 in the New Living Translation, Paul puts it this way. Live wisely among those who are not Christians. And make the most of every opportunity. There's that redeeming the time. Let your conversation be gracious and effective so that you will have the right answer for everyone. Live wisely among those who are not Christians. How many times have you heard, I wouldn't go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. I work with a right hypocrite. And you know the sad truth of it is, some of them are hypocrites. But there'll be no hypocrites in heaven. There are no hypocrites going to get to heaven. They can call themselves whatever they like, but if they're hypocritical, not going to heaven. Jesus fought the hypocrites in his day, too. The religious Pharisees were the hypocrites, and he fought them. <laughs> of course, sometimes people use that as an excuse, don't they? But where if we live wisely among those, make the opportunity, make the most of every opportunity. You know, this past uh, uh, two or three weeks, there's Raymond and Joyce down there. They have, they have led people to Christ. It, 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 one man in his home and two people in the charity shop making the most of every opportunity. Just gossiping the gospel. Just coming alongside somebody and just sharing about the goodness of God and the love of Christ and what He's done for them on the cross. And... See, that's that's living in the light of eternity. 1 Corinthians 7, 29, Paul says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. And it really is short. Seven fun days are over. Where did the seven years go to? Do you remember the first year? You can hardly remember it now. This thing started out as just, I will go out there and we'll make a few burgers and we'll put a bunch of castle up and we'll see who comes. And, phew, I think about 150 people the first time or something like that. We will just pray that it doesn't rain. Now there's nearly 2,000 people coming. I mean, seven years in, like a flash. Eh? I was just talking to some friends this morning. You know, it used to be I used to come up those stairs. I bounded up them three at a time. Now I'm going, I'm walking, and Saxon's coming up those. You know? Trying to get one leg past the other. Used to bound up them. (laughs) Used to bound down them too and end up in the deck at the bottom of them. (laughs) William James, the philosopher, said it, the great use of time is to spend it for something that will outlast it. (laughs) To spend it for something that will outlast it. Remember the old saying it used to be, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last and also it changes our perception of people in other words to see people in the light of eternity means to see people having eternal never dying souls for whom Christ died it changes your perception of people Raymond was in Lurgan the other day doing a bit of business and he walked into before he walked into the shop he saw this guy with a, one of these great big raincoats on, a great big beard like Elijah, you know, one of these in big brim hat and you know, looked as if he was living a bit rough and actually wasn't living rough, but it looked like that and so Raymond into the shop, did some business and he thought, Hmm, maybe we should talk to that man. Came out and looked for him, found him, and sat down. Wonderful conversation about life and about Christ and about how God can help you in life, and it's amazing you see when you begin to see people in the light of eternity as having never dying souls. See people as Christ sees lonely hurting, without hope, lost as sheep without a shepherd—and Jesus looked at the crowd. That's what he saw: great crowd of humanity. Of course he could see into men's souls so he knew exactly who they were but that's what he could see. And, and he felt for their needs. You know they, they went out there and listened for him three days. He must have been some preacher. He must have listened for a preacher for three days without any food. It must have been captivating even as a speaker. And then he turns around to the disciples and says give them something to eat. He so, said, well, we don't have it, I think. Send them into the villages. They let them go and get their own food, basically. That's what they're saying. All they saw was a problem. That's all they could see. Jesus saw potential. All they could see was hassle. I mean, who we feed this lot? There's thousands of them. But Jesus could see souls. could see people's needs. He says, no, you give them some eat. And then he performed that great miracle. So we get greatly concerned, we especially especially get greatly concerned about our loved ones and our family members, especially, those that are the dearest and most precious to us. And it ought to be those that are the ones that we pray about the most. Now I know that whenever we become believers, especially at the beginning, we, we're, we're full of it and we want to talk about it and... and you know, you, you want to get your loved ones saved almost no matter what, and you know, and you can't understand why they don't want to, and you don't, know, well, you were like that one time too, so you got to remember that. Uh, you know, and we're, we're anxious. And why shouldn't we be anxious? Because we realize, hey, it's, it's a never-dying, never-ending soul here. And so we get concerned about our loved ones, and we, we pray for them. I mean, my wife was saved before I wasn't, and she was desperate to get me saved, and I was desperate not to get saved, and it was a battle for a while. But she won through, and her prayers won through, thankfully. But we're like that, you see. We we, we get concerned, and how we how we react to people and respond to people, our whole perceptions change. In Matthew chapter twenty-five. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other as a sheep divides the sheep from the goats. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger take you and are naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of these, the least, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. See, God notices whenever we are concerned about people. Even, did you notice how much of that was practical, by the way? Even with people's practical needs and their hurts and their fears and their loneliness and whatever stuff life throws at them, we ought to be concerned too. And then finally, it it changes... It changes our behavior. It changes our our relationship to others because life really is so short. It's too short for grudges and bitternesses and hatreds and animosities. It's too short for that. Isn't it? There are people who just, I say can't, but won't let go. They're almost happy being bitter and angry. And that's sad, because life's too short. And particularly within families. I know stuff happens in families, and I'm not getting on your case if that's the case, but... Stuff can happen in families. He said, she said, they did, we did. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 11, you know what it tells us there? That all of us, believers particularly, all of us as believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged for what we have done in this life From the moment we became believers to the day we die, however long that may be, or short that may be. And we're going to be judged to see if what we've done is rewardable or if it will be burnt up like haywood and stubble, the Bible says. And bitterness is not rewardable. And unforgiveness is not rewardable. Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne of judgment and that's for those who remain unbelievers. And that's a scary place to be. No rewards then. You read that in your spare time. It is a scary place to be. And so, living in the light of eternity it changes so many things in your life. We'll just close with these couple of scriptures. I'll just read them to you. 2 Corinthians 4 18, Paul says, Why do we look, why do we sorry, why do we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen? For the things which are seen are temporal, subject to change, will pass away. But the things which are eternal, that's what we look at. Colossians 3 2 set your affections on things above not on things on the earth. The New Living Translation beautifully puts it this way. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Final scripture, and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy 4.8 But godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. You see, for the believer in Christ, we got the best of both worlds. Having promise of the life that now is in this time space that we are locked into right now, we got the best of it here and now, but it gets better and of the life which is to come. Where it's going to take God all of his eternity of eternities to declare unto us all of the grace and goodness and blessings that he's got in store for everyone that's put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, eternity. Long, long time. Time? Very, very short. How short? None of us knows. I was talking to a pastor yesterday. He just lost one of his members of his church very, very suddenly. Then he says to me, do you know so-and-so died very suddenly too? I didn't. I said, I didn't even know that. I never heard that. Oh, yeah. He says, yeah. Fortunately, they were believers. But you never know. Super fit people I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm talking people in the full bloom of health. Gone. In an instant. <laughs> eternity. Need to think about it, folks. Really, really need to think about it. We've got to make our choices and decisions here and now because there'll be no second chances once time's gone. It's finished. It's over. It's got to be done here and now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were so concerned about our never-dying eternal souls that you sent your Son to save us. And in saving us, he had to pay that awful, awful price of giving himself to a Roman cross, suffering the horrors of crucifixion, shedding his own innocent blood for our guilty lives. And so we thank you, our God, that you did send your son and that he came and that he did pay that price that we may in faith believe in him and so be saved for all eternity. Thank you for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every child in this building today that's listening to my voice even on the podcast. No matter where we are today, I pray, Father, that they will make the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ and to be ready for eternity. So we give you honor and we give you glory. and We bless you for the gift of life that you have imparted in Christ's name.